So here we are in a season of thankfulness, season of thankfulness. And our bellies, you know, they're still busy processing all the L-tryptophan that we have from all the turkey that we ate just a couple days ago. We're plump with pie, gorged with gravy, and stuffed with stuffing. And I find it quite a challenge to be able to keep you all awake this morning as we all battle a feast-induced coma. That was a great video, though. You know, but it challenges me. I don't know if it challenges you that way. Um, you know, to be thankful in the midst of trial and pain and difficulty through all the trials of life to remain thankful. You know, when our world sometimes is crumbling all around us. You know, because if I was really honest with you, you know, from my heart, honest. You know, I have a little bit of what I would call Thanksgiving baggage, and it's not just the mashed potatoes that I ate during my feast. No, Thanksgiving is a time, a time of deep gratitude, but at the same time, it's also a time, a season, when I face some of the most difficult challenges in my life. You know, back as a teenager, hard to remember back then, but back as a teenager, there was a day when I came home and my dad had left our family. He had moved out. He took my younger sister with him and left my mom and my brother and I at home. Um, oddly enough, he also took my bedroom furniture and so there I was, I was standing there in an empty house, in an empty room, and I was shocked because I never saw this coming. A few, days later, a few days later, my dad calls on the phone and he invites my brother and I to join him and my sister at Thanksgiving dinner at a smorgasbord. And I can remember very well, vividly, standing in line with my tray, with tears in my eyes, thinking about my mom home all alone on Thanksgiving Day. I'm telling you, I felt like such a traitor. And then years later, you know, I had a family of my own, uh, my wife, my kids. You know, I was working in a church down south. I had been a youth pastor, had a successful season, grew the youth group tremendously. And then, a, you know, we went into a time uh, where I was out working in the yard. I got a call from the church. They asked me to come into the office. And they gave me the news that I was being laid off. Out of nowhere, I was shocked, and I walked out of the office without a job. I was no longer a pastor. I was hurt so deeply, I couldn't even go back to that church again, and so I lost my job. I lost my church family, and this season went on and on for a long time. I was wondering, what's going to happen to us? I mean, Brooke was barely a year old. Sierra was just six years old, and I was really struggling with God. I mean, I thought, you know, did I do something wrong? And then all of a sudden, our pipes burst, and then our washer and dryer both went out. Our refrigerator wasn't working. I honestly felt cursed. I just felt cursed. And during this season, my mom was being treated for lymphoma cancer, four, stage four, and I was going to her radiation depart, um, uh, appointments with her. I remember just sitting there and just thinking, what is going on? I was afraid I was going to lose my mom. I was afraid I was going to lose my house. I was afraid I was going to lose everything. It was one of the most deeply disturbing and hopeless times of my entire life. And so Thanksgiving comes up. And I remember sitting there, and there, as I'm looking across the table, there's my eye, the eyes of my wonderful wife, you know, just supportive. And I'm looking at the glowing faces of my little children in the candlelight. And I bow my head to pray. And I honestly had to dig to the depth of my soul to come up with words of thanks to God. You ever been in that place before? 
in a time when your hope faded like a morning mist, when belief was stretched thin and hope ran off like a toddler fresh out of the bathtub. I mean, does God's goodness meet us in that place in a time of hopelessness and desperation? Is God truly good when everything around us seems bad? Well, what I've started to realize is that trials and tribulations, they kind of come like waves in the ocean, right? They're consistent. But sometimes those sets, you know, they're even almost surfable, right? But other times those waves come like devastating tsunamis and just pound me into the dust. And what I began to notice over time is that it's in those times of pain and loss that God seems to do his deepest work in me. You know, one of my broken seasons, I remember reading a book by Larry Crabb. It was called Shattered Dreams. I saw it at the bookstore and I thought, okay, that's for me. (laughs) And it said this, it says, shattered dreams are never random. They're always pieces of a larger puzzle, a chapter in a larger story. The Holy Spirit uses the pain of shattered dreams to help us discover our desire for God, to help us to begin dreaming the highest dream. There are opportunities for the Spirit to awaken and satisfy our highest dream. And I think that's true. Because you see, when I'm battling hopelessness, it's during those times that I'm willing to kind of abandon some of my own self-focused dreams and begin to hunger for deeper new dreams, new hopes, and new passions. And my grip on this life and my own kind of agenda is finally loosened, and I begin, my heart starts to ache for heaven, and I'm no longer satisfied with just kind of knowing about God, but I'm searching for him, chasing after him, clinging to him in desperation. Do you remember in the Bible, Job, right? Uh, Sometimes it's a great character to relate to in times like this, because Job, we know he lost his children, he lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his possessions, everything. He was carved down to nothing, nothing except God. And in the midst of all that pain, heartache, loss, Job says this in Job 42.5, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And so it's in kind of this bitter yet sweet way that we arrive on the doorstep of the very last verse of Psalm 23, which says this. Psalm 23, 6 says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. So today we're going to look at how we can live in God's goodness even above hopelessness. And so as you got your program, when you walked in, I encourage you, why don't you take your message notes out of there you can follow along with the main points and the outline that we have. As well, if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Psalm 23. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about that. The main verses will be up here on the screen. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we always here at Twin Cities, we want you to have a Bible. And so please make sure that you grab one out of the bookshelf out here in the lobby uh, on your way out today. So how is it? How do I live in God's goodness above hopelessness? Well, the first point here is I rely on God's presence, God's presence. 
See, when David was writing Psalm 23, the main key idea that he wanted to get across was that God's presence sustained him. And we know this because of the way that Hebrew poetry was written. The way it was written is that the key idea was always placed in the middle of the poem. And in this Psalm 23, right in the center, we see this phrase, you are with me. That's his declaration. See, as David was being hunted down by King Saul, being chased because Saul was intent on murdering him, David's whole future was uncertain, and yet he was confident of this one thing. God was with him. His presence was there. God was present as David's shepherd. And having been a shepherd himself, David knew that that meant that God cared for him. God watched over him, and God protected him. God was there. You know, one of the great dangers that we face when we're in a season of hopelessness is that we feel alone and abandoned, but we are never truly alone. God's presence is always with us, even more so than a high school cheerleader with her quarterback boyfriend. God is with us deeply, and it's powerful and it's personal, and we see this expressed in this verse. Psalm 23, 6b says, and I shall dwell. I shall dwell. Now, the Hebrew word for the word dwell here means to reside with, abide with, and to be at home with. It's a deeply relational and personal term. And as we've been traveling through this series, you know, we get snapshots of these beautiful pictures of the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd and how bonded they become. Because under the, the care of a loving shepherd, the sheep just becomes endeared. Their heart becomes attached to their shepherd. It kind of reminds us of what Jesus said in John 10, 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And we experience this with our shepherd, Jesus, as he loves for, he loves us and cares for us. And he provides for us. Listen to these words in Romans 5, 1 to 5 about the goodness of our shepherd, Jesus. It says this, therefore, since we've been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Wow. And we can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And what I love about this truth is that it shows how we can move from being hopeless to being people of true and confident hope because God's love transforms us and he gives us the Holy Spirit to fill us and transform us by God's love, the love that he provides. Now, <laughs> rejoicing and suffering, we read that. It doesn't mean that we throw a fiesta, you know, throw a big party every time something bad happens to us. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? But what it does mean is that we can still believe that God is good and that God cares and that God is with us. We can trust that God is able to take even the worst things that we're facing in life 
and redeem them, to repurpose them, to use them to help shape us more into the image of his son, which is the most incredible, loving thing that God could do for us. Pastor Ron shared with us some things from Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And I found this. It says, Keller says, there's a final sense in which the psalmist was speaking as a sheep. (laughs) And it's brought out in the Amplified Old Testament where the meaning of his last phrase is this, I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. This is the most significant sentiment that David had in his heart as he ended this hymn of praise. Knowing the shepherd is there eliminates most of the difficulties and dangers while also providing security and serenity. And so we overcome hopelessness by relying on and resting in God's presence. Just like the picture of this sweet little sheep with its shepherd. Look at that. Little lamb chop looks so very content there, doesn't he? Oh, all his needs are met. You know, we've learned a lot about sheep. You know, as we've gone through this series, Pastor Ron, thank you for sharing so much about sheep, more than we ever knew. Pastor John shared some things. And so here, the last week of the series, I really had to dig very deep to find more things for you about sheep. But did you know this? You know, we've learned that sheep are kind of clueless and helpless, but they also have an incredible sense of humor. They do. Sheep really like bad jokes. Like this guy right here, loves to laugh. <laughs> Got a great sense of humor. So in honor of our sheeply friends, here are Mark's famous facts about sheep. For instance, did you know that if a sheep falls into a vat of chocolate, it becomes a candy bar? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so there was these scientists, right? And they decided to try to breed a very angry sheep with a very moody cow. And uh, you know what they got? An animal that's always in a bad mood. (laughs) Scientists also tried to breed a sheep with a kangaroo. It was a very, very odd looking animal, but it was a wooly good jumper. They found that the most religious sheep are Baptists. And last week in England, there was a sheep born without any legs. They named it Cloud. So there you go. More than you ever wanted to know about sheep. Now, before we move on to our next point, I do want to say one more thing about the phrase, I shall dwell. You know, because when we hear that, I shall dwell, we kind of move forward. We think about the future. You know, one day I will be, I shall dwell with God in heaven. But actually, a more accurate translation of those words is this. I will continually dwell in the presence of the Lord all my days. The idea is that God's presence is with us now. He's with us right now. We can't forget that God is with us and present at all times, even more so than we ever can imagine or think. I mean, listen to what Jesus says here in John 17, 21 to 23. Really let this soak in. Jesus is praying in the garden and he says this, I pray to the Father. They will all be one just as you and I are one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them 
and you are in me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Wow, you see eternal life. Eternal life is not just in our future. It begins right now. And you can know and experience the abundant and joyful life that God has for you right now. God put his spirit in you, and you can rely on God's presence in your life. One of the ways I've been doing this lately is it helps me to have what are called simple breath prayers. You know, so when I get in a situation, like in a couple of minutes ago, when I, before I walked up here, I'll just say a simple breath prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. And I'll repeat that to myself. Or the phrase, you are with me. You are with me. It helps us to lock our mind and heart on the idea that God is with us. All right, second point. I rely on God's provision. God's provision. I can rely on God to supply everything that I need. You know, just as we saw in verse 1, if you remember back to the very beginning, verse 1 said, I shall not want. I don't have any wants. My needs are met. The Lord leads me beside the still waters. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to paths of righteousness. These are all beautiful images of comfort and rest and provision. And so in verse 6, we get the ultimate picture of provision, and it's this. Psalm 23, 6 says, in the house. I shall dwell in the house, a home, a home. The word house means the family, the household, or the flock of the good shepherd. And it signifies being in God's presence. You know, we're not just vacationing guests in the ultimate Airbnb, but we are family. God's house is a place of love, deep love, because God is love, sacrificial selfless, extravagant love. This love just pours into our hearts as we dwell with God. You know, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, looking forward to his trial on the cross, knowing that they would all go through just an incredible time of confusion and pain, he said this to them in John 14, 1 to 3. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. God is so eager for us to be with him in his home. The porch light is on. He's peeking through the window, longing for us to be in face-to-face -face fellowship with him, to draw us into his arms the way we were originally designed to be with him. There is this rich banqueting table that he's prepared for us, symbolizing our union and connection with him. He overthrows our enemies, symbolizing our protection and our security. He anoints our head with oil, signifying his grace and blessings that are poured over us. Our cup is overflowing, signifying his provision and our deep satisfaction in him. His goodness and mercy follow us like guardian angels, and we will dwell with him in his house forever. And even right now, we can rely on God to provide for our every need. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 
31 to 33. He said, don't worry about these things, saying, where will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Did you see that? It says your heavenly father already knows your needs and he's willing, he's able, and he's ready to provide just as we trust in him. You know, um, years ago, I was introduced to a a gentleman, not personally, but a man of history called George Mueller. And I've always admired this man. He, George Mueller was, he ran the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England in the 1800s. Orphaned children. He was a man of incredible deep faith and convicted prayer where he spent so much time in prayer. And there was a time when the orphanage completely ran out of food, completely out of food. He's got all these children. There's literally no food to feed them. And George Mueller gets all the kids together in the dining hall. He has them bow their heads to get ready to pray. And Mueller thanks God for the meal that he's provided, even though the table was completely empty. And right as he finishes his prayer, there's a knock on the door, and a man comes from a bread truck with bread for everyone, followed by a milkman whose cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he provides milk for everyone. You see, God provided, and Mueller trusted that he would. I love this quote by George Mueller. It says this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. George Mueller knew God intimately. He lived in God's presence. And that gave him faith to believe that God would hear and provide when he prayed and he asked. Third point, I rely on God's power. I rely on God's power. So as Pastor Ron introduced this series to us, he told us that our view of God, how we view God, it affects all of our life. Because when we see God is good, we trust that life is good because we know that God is in control and he works all things for our good, even when things are challenging around us. But when we see God as distant or not good, we end up feeling stress and worry and anxiety Because life is so chaotic when we only rely on ourselves. You see, what makes God's goodness, the goodness of God, so incredibly powerful is because it is consistent and reliable. It's not something he does. It's part of his very character, his unchanging character. He does not change. His character is true and it's perfect. And so our next simple phrase from Psalm 23, 6 is, of the Lord. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. It's his house. And it reminds us that God's character is our security. His character is our security. It's secure because it's based on him. It's all based on him. As Pastor Ron mentioned last week, that this last sentence begins with the word surely. Surely means it's sure. It's a sure thing. It's guaranteed that we will dwell in the house of the Lord because it's his house. It's God's house, and we are his children. He's all-powerful to make it happen. 
We rely on God's sovereignty, his power, his control. He's sufficient. And it's through him and in him that we're able to live our lives. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 reminds us of this. Peter says, by his divine power, God's given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. The everlasting one, the holy and all-powerful creator God is on your side. And so no matter what Goliath of adversity charges at you, you can stand in Christ. And just as Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pastor Oswald Sanders says this, he says, power is not a gift from the Holy Spirit. The power is the Holy Spirit. The life that was in Jesus becomes our life because of the cross. And again, eternal life has nothing to do with time. Eternal life is Jesus Christ in you. You have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you. And you, my friend, can rely on God's power in you. Last point. I rely on God's promise. God's promise. So there's a little boy, and he goes with his dad to pick out a puppy from a litter. And as they're surveying the wiggling little ones, you know, running all over the place, the daddy asks his son, so which one do you want, son? And the boy points at one whose tail is wagging furiously. He says, daddy, I want the one with the happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what we have here. The very last word of Psalm 23 is the word forever. Psalm 23, 6, forever, forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David's recounted all of God's goodness and his favor to him through this whole psalm, all of which comes out of God's unchanging character and nature. God's character is forever, and his promises are true and forever. And did you know that if you are a Christian, one of God's children, that you are secured and sealed with his promises forever? Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 reminds us of this. Paul tells us, when you believed in Christ, God identified you as his own by giving you the seal of the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And so nothing... Nothing can prevent you or keep you from being with the Lord forever. Not death or life, not angels, not demons. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in this life and also beyond. So you don't even have to fear death because a glorious future awaits you. Revelation 21, 3 to 5 reminds us of this. It says, John, as he's getting this revelation of God, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true with the Lord forever. What does that mean? Now, I love what Pastor Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, forever life, forever light, forever love, forever peace, forever rest, forever joy. What more could we ever hope for or desire? But these are only the fruits and not the true root of our joy. You see, Jesus is better than all of these, and his company is more than the joy that comes from it. Why to touch the hem of his garment healed the sick woman. The sight of him was enough to bring us life when we were dead in our sins. And so what will it be like to actually be with him in his very presence forever? You know what? Even deeper and more meaningful than this is that when you get down into that Greek word for the word with, it's not the word meta, which we would expect, which kind of means to be in the presence of someone else. But it's the Greek word son, which means coherence, where two are with each other and intimately connected. You see, those who love and know Jesus will be with him forever, not just in a little cottage next to the, the, you know, the Lord's big mansion, but did you know that the shepherd will always be surrounded by his sheep and the bridegroom will never be without his bride? The head of the church will never be without the body of Christ. There will be no Christ without Christians, no savior without saved ones, no redeemer without his redeemed. We are his fullness and he must have us with him. We are identified with Jesus Christ forever and nothing can separate us from his love forever and ever amen amen and so i want to leave you with three simple little thoughts and the first one is this as i said before being with the lord eternal life it begins right now it begins now christ is in you number two your real life is in christ It's in Christ, and we can invest in that deeply, learn to know it, live in it, walk in the Holy Spirit, because it's an incredible source of everlasting hope. And the third thought is this, that there is no real, true life apart from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is the only source of true hope. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, honestly, I beg you to surrender your life to Christ and invite him in and to begin to enjoy the true goodness of God. The Lord has been so good to us, so deeply, deeply good. We're going to end our series now with a beautiful song. It's called Goodness, Love, and Mercy. And it celebrates the very goodness of God that we've learned from Psalm 23. And so as we listen together, I really encourage you to hear these words 
and let them sink into your heart and just well up with thanksgiving and gratefulness. Let's listen together. Thank you. 
you pray with me? Lord, we are so incredibly grateful for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your grace. And God, it's so overwhelming, your deep love, that we can even, God, be thankful when things come into our life that rock our world. God, I can even thank you for that time of heartache when my family fell apart and when my dad left, because that, Lord, is the, the thing that helped me lower my pride and open my heart to seek after you and find that you were there with open arms, a father with open arms that wanted to love me and wanted to invite me into an eternal relationship with you. God, you use that pain to invite me to yourself. And maybe today, God, there's someone out there and whatever circumstances in life, they've come to a point, God, where they're just broken and their hearts are open. And maybe, God, they would want as well to reach out to you and say, God, I'm open to your love. I'm open to you transforming my life. I want God to dwell with you now and forever. And they would say to you, I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Come in and change and transform me and make me a new person. God, I need you. And they could experience the goodness of God. The goodness of God and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God, we entrust these things to you. And again, we are so grateful that you are such a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.